Blog Talk Radio. I was born in the boogie down cat scan with my building. No, I'm not even going for that this time. You got to kick that new thing. You ain't been out for years. Why you gonna be acting like that on this track? Kick some old folk joints like this. You know, P-O-S-D and U-O-S. Usually the reason for a cardiac arrest. So back off your silly hardcore wannabes. Plug a fire to blow that ass from the ground like sacks of bleeds. Not a trick when sniffing in my word, cuz. Fantastic. How about yourself, Scott? 
It's going good. I'm, I'm, I, I, I am footloose and fancy free, man. I'm, I'm happy that we're able to kick off Black History Month in style. And what better way to kick off Black History Month than to talk about some black-on-black crime in the media? Uh, oh, my gosh. And Charles Barkley's beef that's going on. How silly is this, man? I mean, first of all, like, we all know what LeBron, like what Charles Barkley said about, like, LeBron James, he's, critique, he's critiquing his game, okay? Sure, he came out there and saying, like, LeBron didn't want to win because he, like, like, like LeBron wanted some help, even though they have the highest payroll. His team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, has the highest payroll in the league, and they're only the defending world champs. So Barkley came out to him for that. They had, they had a drag down debate on NBA on, on the NBA on TNT uh, with Shaquille O'Neal, which was like selfish gold, if you ask me. Uh, and if, for those of you who don't know about it, go to YouTube. Uh, it, it, it's it's well worth it. Um, but from that and from a lot of things, Barkley has criticized LeBron over the years. LeBron calls himself firing back and just brought some personal stuff from Barkley's past, which I thought was silly because, I mean, like I said, Barkley was just critiquing LeBron on the court, okay? Had nothing to do with off the court. And even Barkley's going out of the way many times to say that LeBron is, quote, a great guy. So, I mean, is, is it just me or is it LeBron James more sensitive than Ralph Tressan? Um... I don't even know if, if we can just say Ralph Trezman on this situation. I mean, he's he's a man with sensitivity. You know, I'm not going to say he's a man like me, because I just thought it was yeah. rather interesting that, just, oh, man, matter of fact, Scott Van Pelt said it best. It's, all of the things that he said about Charles Barkley was extremely calculated. It seems as though that he has been waiting to go at Charles for the longest time and this, yeah. for whatever reason, happened to be his opportunity. And, I mean, he picked the opportune time to be uh, extremely upset. First time since February of 2006 that a team that he's been on has had a losing record within a month. They went 7 to 8 within a month of uh, January. But you're yeah. absolutely right. If you listen to Charles, and this is the thing that makes me upset, it's not just LeBron, but there are a bunch of other people who decided they wanted to jump into this and, 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 and have their say against Charles and, and, and for Charles to come out as if, you know, his playing days or the things that he did as a player to reflect him as an analyst. Well, they were completely dead wrong. Everything that Charles said had to do with what was going on on the court. Nothing to do with his personal life. Nothing to right. do with him as a free agent player throughout his, his days in the NBA. None of that. Right. Nothing, nothing about him being an AAU crybaby. None of that. All of the stuff that he talked about was basically this, this stuff that's going on on the floor. And like you said. On the court. You know, the Cleveland Cavaliers have the highest payroll in the NBA. $18 million more than the San Antonio Spurs, $22 million more than the Golden State Warriors. But yet yeah. you're crying that you need more playmakers. You didn't notice yeah. when you were um, parading around during the summer, uh, 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 with Dan Gilbert letting them know that you need to sign uh, Iman Schumpert, uh, J.R. Smith, uh, uh, Tristan Thompson, and with Kevin Love, the trade that you asked for already on the books, you combine those four players along with LeBron's salary 
that's 89.1 million for this year alone, which is more than eight teams in the NBA. But you need more help? Are you kidding me, dude? Matter of fact, the fantastic yeah. analogy that explains everything comes from Kenny Smith. When he's like, it's like a dude that says, I have a Porsche, I have a Lamborghini, I got a Bugatti, but I need a Kia in order to help me get things around in the city. Really? <laughs> well, I got all these luxury cars, but I need this economy car in order to do what I need to do. No one's going to have sympathy yeah. for you. And therefore, Shaq, first and foremost, to come out and say to Charles, you can't talk about back-to-back championships or how hard it is to get a back-to-back championship because you ain't done it. Okay, yeah, sure. But to throw out the fact of, oh, you tried to do it when you went to Houston, just like Charles said, him, Hakeem, and, and, and Clyde Drexler and Scottie Pippen were well over the, well over 31 right now, which is what LeBron is. Past their yeah. pride. The way, that, the way that LeBron is complaining he needs help is the same way that that, that Rockets team needed help, Shaq. For you to come out against that yeah. old Rockets squad and bring that up is horrible, Shaq. How dare you? Yeah. Yeah, and I was then, with that. It was, I was extremely disappointed. And then to make matters worse, man, you know, I was – I think this is the most studying I've ever done to do for your show, and this is going to be fantastic because, you know, I got a lot of people who, who need to catch it today. You know, well, I'm going to just leave it at three. Max Kellerman, you're next on my list of people who need to catch it because you Uh-oh. basically said when you win a title, teams come at you. You're absolutely correct. Everyone should know this. It doesn't have to just be NBA, but it's, it's all sports. If you win the title, everyone's coming out to prove that they can at least beat the champion if they can't beat them in regular season, if they can't beat them in the championship season. And knowing this, why didn't you lobby to make the moves to make your team better during the offseason, LeBron? If that's the case, if everyone's coming for your head, and you know this, why didn't you do that then? Why wait now? As a matter of fact, why wait? Uh, why, why make this announcement to the public? Why didn't you just go to Gilbert? In the first place, behind closed doors to make this announcement. Why See, do it now? You and Shaq agree. You and, you and Shaq actually agree on that part because Shaq actually said, too, in addition to the erroneous stuff he said about Barkley and the, and the use of rights analogy, that uh-huh. it was unpro- he called the move unprofessional. You should yeah. take that behind closed doors. All three of the panels agree with that. I agree with that as well. I mean, that's just to me, you don't say that. I mean, especially when 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 uh, when when the GM pulled off a heist and and obtaining Cal Culver from 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 Atlanta. That exactly. Once out of trade, so why would you go behind? Just why, why would LeBron do that? That that's just I, I, that's just beyond me. But could you talk about that? Have to well, that's fine. But Kenny Smith said the best. He's looking for public sympathy. That's exactly yeah. what he's doing. He's looking for sympathy. And not just that, he, he's doing this a month, well, actually, uh, yeah, a month before the uh, the NBA trade deadline. It's not to say that yeah. nothing can't happen between now and then. And they're bringing in five players today to take a look at, to see whether or not they'll be a fit for this team. So you've got time yeah. to bring people in. Dude, calm down. You are far and away, Charles said this, you are far and away the best player in the NBA. He complimented you in this, but the only yeah. thing you probably took away was the fact that he said that you were whiny and that you were uh, uh, inconsiderate and that you were a punk for, for, for doing this in the public, which you were. 
Yeah, Basically was, making a public cry <laughs> that I need help. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he praised you the whole time. And, and then you went to all your off-the-court antics. Next in line to catch a heat, Shannon Sharp. I'm not even going to get into what you do or what you don't do at Savannah State, your alma mater. God knows I, I got half hour for that. But for you to even talk about Charles, exactly. You know, for, for you to talk about Charles and say what you said about him being an analyst, being a former player turned analyst, and to bring up the stuff that he did off the court, quote unquote, and, and, and talk about his play on the floor. First and foremost, Sherry said that Charles was, was out of shape, overweight during his playing days. You know what? For, for Charles to be overweight, and out of shape during his playing days, and still averaged well over 35 minutes a game, and averaged a double-double yeah. for his career, I know a lot of teams would like to have an overweight Charles Barkley playing for them, namely a LeBron James who needs help. Dare you, Shannon. I agree with that. God, every, everybody can't be a walking muscle like you and, and hot damn uh, Eddie George. Everybody can't do that. Everybody can't be you. But I say this, <laughs> the one thing he did do, was come out and play with effort and play with heart, playing power forward in the NBA at an elite level at 6'4". And the fact that everybody right. going at – and everyone co-signing the, the, the fact that uh, everything that LeBron is saying about Charles and finally somebody going to Charles, somebody finally going at Charles, and this is you too, D-Wade, finally somebody going at Charles by bringing up the off-the-court stuff that has nothing to do with him being an analyst. Yep. That's ridiculous, dude. And the dude that's yeah. on Black History Month, you're right, black on black crime. For y'all to be yeah, out there exactly. talking about this peace on the streets, D-Wade, this black on black foolishness shouldn't even be happening. If you were talking about him and his analyst, and him as an analyst, fine, so be it. I'm just glad Charles was able to brush it off. Because Charles was like, hey, that's what I did, I know what I did, man. You can't talk about the stuff that I know that I've done. And he owned up right. to it. You know, he laughs at it. But it sure well, stop him from being – a... oh, go ahead. Yeah, sure. sure I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say – no, 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 no. You good, brother. Uh, I was going to say Barkley handled it perfectly. He didn't yes. go back yes. after him. He just said, look, the dude did his research on me. <laughs> he Googled me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if he just, like, taking a score and went for him. Well, in his mind, and his, his being LeBron's mind, the opportune time to strike. But you know what the mm-hmm. most part about this whole scenario is, man? We both agree with Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless agrees with us. I mean, I mean, it's like Skip Bayless was a voice of reason when he was saying that as much as Charles went after Skip, yeah. that Skip had no problem with, and it's well documented, that Skip had no problem with what Barker said because it was strictly on-the-court critique. He exactly. never made it personal. Never, ever made it personal. It's talking about these dudes, man. I mean, these guys, they're so sensitive. It's not just LeBron. These guys no. are so sensitive. I mean, it's just amazing to me. And, you know, it's funny to hear, like, former ball players who go to the media, they realize the same thing. It's like, why are these guys so sensitive? And then they start asking themselves, was I ever that sensitive? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just unbecoming of the best player in the world. LeBron. Exactly. It's, I mean, 
Kevin Garnett, he he was saying that's on Area Twenty One with my thing was Rasheed Wallace, which by the way is yes. is, us, is also helping you go by the way. That's a great segment. Good job by Kevin Garnett. But at any rate, um, yes, he was saying that the peaks and valleys the following year because mm-hmm. the Bulls are on your back. You're getting their one's best shot. They've been looking. They circled your your game on the calendar when the schedule came out. And case in point, Sacramento went up to Cleveland and beat them. Yeah. Same story as Sacramento King team, led by like the resident malcontents, Boogie Cousins, went in there and beat LeBron James in Cleveland. That's an example of getting Cat's best shot after you become a world champion. It happens. It happens in every professional sport. So yes. I mean, for LeBron to throw a hissy fit <laughs> for the trade deadline. Saying he needs more help. I mean, hell, to your point, who was who was whose idea was it to resign Chair Smith? Ron James. Who was yep. whose idea was it to resign uh Tristan Thompson? Ron James. Who was mm-hmm. uh Shumper, who was the idea to give Lamar Shumper all that money? Ron James. He talked to David Griffith, the GM, who just done a fabulous job by the way. I mean he managed his way to trade again for Kyle Culver. Mm-hmm. Uh just went on the Hawks, uh, you know, Kyle Corver, and he still, quote unquote, needs help. Just how about just putting your head down, actually, just keeping your head up, per se, and just go ball out. You're by far and away the best team in the East. You're going to represent the East in the finals again. I mean, just ball out. I mean, just work through it. I mean, just cool it. <laughs> exactly. You know what? James, just cool it. I would say it's. I was going to say that because if if LeBron was really listening, the more scathing yeah. stuff, but but glazed nicely with with some sugar on top because you know a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Right. Came from KG and from Rasheed during the Area Twenty One uh, segment before yeah. they they asked Charles and, and and Kenny. KG said this, and I quote. This behavior should come from a team trying to find its identity, trying to make the playoffs, not one yeah. that has just won a championship. And it's not like this is the first time LeBron right. has won a championship. No, no, no. He's been there before. So he should know right. how it goes when teams come at you and you need to prep yourself to be better the following year. He should know this. But once again, man, all of this foolishness, all because his feelings got hurt, I don't know what's going on with this generation of players that, that get so butt hurt uh, about stuff that they say about <laughs> them and their play. If, if you don't like it, play better. Time that you took yeah. to go ahead and memorize everything that Charles has ever done wrong in his career off the floor, you should take that same energy and go ahead and try to win more games, LeBron. How about that? How about it's that? It's just amazing. It's just amazing. I mean, again, Barkley kept his critique for on-court performance or lack thereof. And that's yes. it. He's an analyst. He gets paid to do it. If Barker's not doing that, if KG's not doing that, if Skip Hill's not doing that, if other people in sports media are not doing that, they're not doing their job. Period. And a discussion. So, LeBron, you're better than this, bro. You're a world champion the same. three times over, and it, it, it's unbecoming of you. Exactly. And then to say that a, 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 a former player who has never won a championship can't analyze another player's play, that means everyone who has never won a sports championship should not be an analyst. 
or anyone who's never played a sport <laughs> should be an athlete. Or anyone who's so all you got to do is use an eye. Exactly. So that's just uh, foolishness, man. Foolishness. So, well, here's the good news: we're shifting from the bad of black of the black community to the good. <laughs> <For black history. laughs> we're, we're talking about Serena Williams. How great is she, man? I mean, she she won. I mean, it's too bad that she had to beat a big sister, sister Venus during the Australian Open uh, last mm-hmm. weekend. But she's got 23 Grand Slam titles, which is the most in the Open era. She's one mm-hmm. short of Margaret Court, who played way back in the day, um, who had 24. But Serena's not going anywhere. She is 35 years old in peak condition, dominating the hell out of her sport. And let's, let's, let's look at this way. Of all her active contemporaries, I mean, she has more titles than all of her active contemporaries put together. Yes. I mean, com- combined, they do not come close to the 23 that Serena has won. And, again, she's not slowing down. She's still in peak condition. She's in great shape. She works very hard. And, you know, and props also to Venus for, you know, she's 36, 37, and has and still going strong. I mean, you know, although she's not, she's not her sister. Her sister's just a better athlete. But yes. she has her. She has, I think, seven or eight titles. I think she has seven. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another fact as well. But can we can we just take the time to just appreciate how great Serena Williams is? Can we can we just do that just just for a minute? Well, I don't know about you, bro, but I'm thinking about the uh, the black cat suit right now. So, uh-huh. all right, I digress. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking for the, the black cat suit. But aside of that, her talents uh, as a, as a tennis player, fantastic. Like you said, the 23 uh, total championships. You know, she was the um, the first African American to ever win. Um, what was that? The Australian Open in 2003. Man, the, the her. Yeah. Yeah, was it the first woman to to win fifty plus career matches in all four Grand Slams in the Open era? Uh, the oldest singles Grand Slam winner uh, with this win in Australia. But it's just the the, the accolades for for Serena just continue to, to to grow and go on and on. And like you said, even at the age of thirty seven, mm-hmm. she still has the ability to play a couple of more years, unless baby starts start to call. And you know she's engaged right now, Scott. Uh, Scott. So. We'll, we'll see how much longer she can hold out after she gets married to have a baby. But, um, sure. but yeah, you're right. She she got a couple of more years up in her to go ahead and get one more to, to go ahead and tie the record to to to, to top it. But um, I just I just feel as though it, it doesn't get as much praise as it should. I'm I'm glad that it's getting some, but yeah. the accomplishments that that I she's getting, that. Or, yeah, you know, the accomplishments that, that that she has on the, on the court. Throughout her entire career, as long as it's been as well, let's not forget that as yeah. miraculous. And, and then you talk about, you know, her. She's unapologetically black, coming from Compton, yeah. has been yeah. her entire career, and, and I applaud her for that as well. Um, to to go through a lot of the criticism of her body shape, her body type, to ignore all of that foolishness and to come out <clears throat> and to be one of the best all time if not best athlete of all time uh, during yeah. our lifetime, especially, um, is a phenomenal job. So let me ask you this. Well, first of all, I'm glad you touched on the, on, on the blackness part because I, I wrote a uh, 
a, uh, a, a rant today, on my, well, not today, but a few days ago on my sports blog, saying just how proud I, as a black American, am of Serena's accomplishments and Venus's as well. I mean, because yeah. these, I mean, Serena's a sister. I mean, they, you know, she came from Compton, California. She never went to, her and her sister never went to one of those tennis academies in Florida. She never mm-hmm. went to a college that breeds tennis players, so to speak. She didn't go overseas. She did this, and her sister did this, on the tennis course that comes to California with grass growing from, the, from beneath the cracks. And from them watching videos after video after video put on by her parents, and from her parents reading up on how to become tennis stars, they're pretty much as self-made as self-made can be. And you could easily call them the people champions. Yeah. Because, again, they're so self-made. They didn't go to any academy. They, you know, they couldn't afford it. I mean, so they did all of this just by hard work and research and dedication, the good old-fashioned way. And that's so a that's lot. Really, and, and how American is that? How American is that? Exactly. I mean, just, just, just doing it by your, your as, as a lot of our conservative friends would say, by the, by her own bootstraps. You know, mm-hmm. just doing it on her own, without any help. I mean, just only the help in the form of her parents, but without any help. I mean, they did this just from the ground up, literally from the almost literally from the ground up. And that's just so freaking amazing to me. I mean, the, I mean the fact that she and her sisters, like Marina, like, I'm sorry, Serena and Venus, did this by embracing who they are, and not yes. resenting part of who they are, a la Tiger Woods, but this whole co- like ablation crap. And <laughs> when someone that said like to OJ back when OJ was in, at USC about to win a Heisman Trophy, he said. You know, it went like a, when they report, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, saying that, you know, how does it feel to be a black athlete who's doing this all this this, this accomplishment? He said, "I'm not black. I'm OJ. Come on." And he should know better. I mean, back you know, back in the late '60s, but it's, it's just amazing to me and how refreshing it is to see someone who brace fully embrace who they are, and that same person represents the black community the way that Serena has and Venus has. For so many years, it just it just amazed to me. Now I will say this: this is where, and I normally don't go here. I'm gonna go here. I think you know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, what if Serena, like Serena again, 23 Grand Slam singles, the most in the, in the modern era, in the in like in the open era, one short of Margaret Court for all time, the best all time, and she's an American. But she doesn't get as much love, I think, here as say other tennis players like 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 uh, like like Maria Sharapova when she was winning, even though yes. she only won like what three or four majors, and mm-hmm. the fact that she's like worldwide instead of Serena, it just I just can't help it. I just can't help if Serena was a blonde, I don't want to say scrawny, but a blonde, petite, slender athlete, if she would get more accolades thrown her way. If that was case, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm not I don't think I don't know that to be fact to be factually true because I don't know, we don't know because Serena is a uh, voluptuous black woman, 
I'm just saying, she. I mean, I just can't help it. If, if, if Maria Sharapova got all this love for so long after winning only three or four Grand Slam singles titles, Serena sitting there with 23, and even years ago when Mary, when Sharapova was doing her thing, Serena dominated the hell out of Sharapova. Mm-hmm. Okay, like Sharapova, oh, Sharapova only beat her twice out of what, 20 matches. Yeah. Um. So, just saying. I, my I'm my just, thing I'm is this. I'm just saying. This is, this is my hope, Scott, is that this is happening because the sport of tennis isn't as popular as the NFL, the NBA, NCAA. You know, you can even throw hockey ahead of sure. it. You know, uh-huh. it, it's not that popular. So they're doing as much as they can without, you know, well, well it, it, it's not going to break a certain level. It, it won't, unfortunately. Sure. I got you. But in mm-hmm. terms of, of the amount of eyes and the amount of attention and the amount of pub, and, and I'm, I'm, they're doing a fantastic job, and she's doing a fantastic job of, of, of controlling her brand as well. Sure. I just, I just wish they would do more. I really do because of what she's doing historically and what this means for, for the sport American. of tennis. And she's an and American. She's an American. She's an American. Just because, <laughs> Come on. It's because it, uh, t- uh, Americans as a whole, we just yeah. won't accept tennis. I don't know what it is about um, a sport in this country where if, if we can't hit something very far, if we can't throw something very far, or we can't yeah. hit something very hard or slam something very hard, then it does not get a lot of attention. It just doesn't in this country, unfortunately. And God forbid it be a situation when it's a one-on-one, i.e. baseball, yeah. when it's a pitching duel, or tennis. When you get those type of situations, then you really get the, the, the masses zoned out and, and not really paying attention. So uh, it, it's nothing that, that can be too. done. Yeah, I got you. I was gonna, there's nothing to uh, be done to make it better. But, you know, just, just praise them as much as we sure. can. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess, I guess in the same, in a similar vein, like where the U.S. women's national team, how dumb they've been for so many years, they don't get as much pub, as much love as even the men's team, which like consistently suck. Stinks, <laughs> stinks on ice. Women. Yes. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I guess then you can throw in the gender factor, and um, among other things. I just harken back to the years of the 80s and, the, and, and most of the 90s when American tennis was hot, especially on yeah. the men's side. You know, with um, the first in the 80s with, 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 with uh, John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, um, and then later on, like Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi. How great were those matches, by the way? Michael Chang, Jim Currier. Um, you know, I know I'm probably missing a few players, but I mean, and maybe it's a gender thing, you know, because, again, I mean, you have so many dominant tennis players, great tennis players during that time. And mm-hmm. on the American side, it was Monica Sellis doing her thing before she was stabbed by a crazed fan. Um, yeah. But, you know, to, to your point, she didn't even get – I don't remember her getting as much pub as, say, the men were, even though she was winning. So yeah. much in so little period of time. 
So I, I, it could be a gender issue as well. I mean, so many things could be mixed into why Serena's not getting as much love as I think as 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 she should. Because again, this is the ultimate great America story coming from and it's coming from South Central LA, from Compton, California. Okay, and just didn't go to any academies. Couldn't afford to go to to to, to the tennis academies. Did it did everything. Just self-taught, literally self-taught, through the help of her parents, who are mm-hmm. who are, who, are, who were not tennis experts before they got started on this journey, and to see Serena and Venus come up the way they did again, just strictly just grassroots effort. It's just amazing. It's, to, it's America's story. It's it's the American dream. It's, and a, it's, a, it's a story it's, it's that just we don't hear. That I get love. Exactly. It's a story that we don't really hear in sports outside of combat sports, outside of MMA and boxing. It's very rare that you hear about a a great athlete that has not gone through any academy, any camp, any any summer camp, whatever. It's it's, it's rare that it happens, and and for them to be the elite of the sport, fantastic. It's not much... I wish there was more for us to say, but it's not really much more right. we can say. Other than the fact that it's fantastic, yes, yeah, but it needs well, to be told more. Uh, uh, we'll close the Serena segment on this, and I gotta ask this question. This may be a barbershop-like question, given yeah. how dom- given how she's still steamrolling the competition at age thirty-five, and seeing just seeing just looking at has a fits con- in a historical context. Even if you look at other professional sports, men's tennis, track and field, hell, track and field, and, and other sports, boxing, do you think it's, could she easily be considered the most dominant athlete of all time? There's a, there's a conversation for that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and she has legitimate accolades for that conversation. Um, one of the things that you, of course, run into. Uh, when, when you start having this conversation is not only when you start talking about the dominance of individual sports, like you said, with tennis, track and field, um, and, and even sports that people aren't necessarily familiar with, but they can see the numbers. You take sure. that and try to argue with people with, with sports, with people uh, who are more familiar with team sports, where it's a little bit harder, in my personal opinion, to pull out individual greatness in a team sport, even though people do it mm-hmm. all the time and wrongfully do yeah. so by attaching championships yeah. with that. It's, it's just funny to me how a lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of it time to time as well, will tie a team championship with individual greatness for a team sport. That's a whole other mm-hmm. conversation. But sure. people do it all the time. When you do that and try to compare that with individual sports, it gets a little murky, but the conversation is there. It can easily be had. Um, I don't know if, if I can sit there and do so myself. I don't I don't like to be a fan of the moment. I like to go ahead right. and, and be able to analyze everything before I can go ahead and say so. But the conversation is there easily. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, 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 I think – I'm not one of those persons of the moment cats. I pride myself on that. But um, there's something to be said, though. Just yeah. at least a conversation 
Because we saw, like, Federer, when he had this run a few years ago, uh, but granted, he didn't do it but this, for so long. Serena has been, I keep calling it being Serena, has been dominant, like, for the past 10 years. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at it, I mean, the thing is that, sure, she had a break in between her, her and her sister did. Then they both came back, and they came back rolling. Yes. I mean, rolling. They, I mean, remember, I don't know if you, you remember this, but when Serena came back in the, like, she had one of a comeback, I think the first, uh, uh, um, like, Grand Slam event that she came back to was the Australian Open. And she went there unseated. And she mm-hmm. just steamrolled her way to the championship. I mean, and she beat down Sharapova like a rag doll along the way. It's just amazing. And she hasn't yeah. stopped rolling. She's, she's still rolling. She hasn't stopped ever since. She, it's just amazing that someone who's uh, 35 is considered old as hell in tennis. I mean, yeah. most of us sports anyway, but especially tennis. And to see her steamroll the competition, and again, she's not slowing down. She is still going and probably still going. You know what? If I were her, I would, after I win number 24, 25, or really 25, I'm like, you know what? Drop the mic or drop the racket in her case. I'm done. No one's yep. breaking that list. No one's, no one's touching 25. No one. That's the way it looks right now. It's just amazing how she's doing it. It's amazing that the way she, she makes it look easy against younger yes. competition. It's just amazing to me. It's just, I mean, we're not going to, we're not going to see this again for a long time in any sports, let alone tennis. Mm-hmm. So enjoy it while you can, America. Enjoy it while you can. Well, we'll get y'all on this, man. This, this thing called the Super Bowl is coming, is happening this coming Sunday. Um, <laughs> is, is it game this weekend? Yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> are, are, the, are the Cowboys playing? Oh, the There's Cowboys ain't playing. Are the no, Cowboys playing? Oh, the Cowboys uh, playing. I don't think they are. No, no, oh, no, no. Okay. No. I, I know it's disappointing. I know. They're resting. Checking for a friend. Disappointing for you. Yeah. Checking for a friend. But who do you have, man? Who who you have? New England or Atlanta? Actually, we talked about it briefly last week, and I told you right. I had New England, and I'm sticking to my yeah. guns. I still got New Make England. Make sure you change the pick. I, okay. Yeah, not changing my pick. I'm just a little – because uh, last night, you know, we we did Sleepy Sports last night, and um, yeah. while we were doing the show, we watched – the actual NFL Network was airing Super Bowl 49, the, uh, the, the, the Seattle-New England Super Bowl. Oh, and – and I'll see that's the thing. Everyone says, "Oh God," and I think I've had this beef on your show about that Super Bowl, where everyone keeps talking about Marshawn, Marshawn should have got the ball at the one. Where my beef still lies with the defense, the defense that gave up less than 17 points a game during the regular season and in the playoffs, but gave right. up 14 right. in the fourth quarter against New England. But I digress. The thing, the reason why I bring that up is. You know, everyone's talking about who has the ball last, who has the ball last, and I was in that company until I watched that Super Bowl, and I'm thinking, you know what? New England's defense is good enough to make a last-minute stop and hold Atlanta from scoring last. So there's a possibility that that may happen as well. But, you know, there's so many possibilities of how this game could go. 
but I'm still sticking with New England as, as the winner of the game. My score is a little high, but I'm sticking with my guns of a 38-33 to 33 win for, for New England. But the one thing I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about, everyone yes, talks about this one thing. Actually, two things real quick. Um, everyone's talking mm-hmm. about the offenses for New England and, and, and Atlanta, and rightfully so, because they're, they ranked third and first in the league, uh, respectively. But I want to talk about the mm-hmm. defenses. First and foremost, everyone talks about how Belichick likes to make you do things that you don't want to do. And if you think about Atlanta's right. offense, what's the one thing that you, what's the first thing you think of? It's the passing game. So that means you're going right. to try to make them run potentially, which is right up uh, Kyle Shanahan's wheelhouse. And that's something he does know how to do and do well because he learned it from his daddy. You know, he, he had a great running game in Washington while he was the old coordinator there with Alf Morris. Went to, yes, he did. He went to Cleveland. He went to Cleveland for a year and had a great year with Isaiah Crowell, who was turning out to be a, a decent back. And then, of course, he has the tandem of, of Coleman and Freeman at Atlanta in that running game doing extremely well. The reason why I bring that up is because it's a possibility Belichick may force them to do that, but Belichick already knows that they run the ball well. But right. the thing is, if, if they can stop that run game, Atlanta can't be beaten. Um, they've been held to under uh, 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 83 yards rushing total four times this year, and in those four yep. games, they're one and three. So if, if they can do that, matter of fact, New England holds or has held teams to 88 yards rushing per game. So if they can stay right. on that pace, they can beat Atlanta. So watch Atlanta's run game. That's going to be extremely important. And the reason why I say that is New England has allowed teams to pass on them four games this year where they've given up more than 300 yards passing. Do you know what their mm-hmm. record is during those three games? Where's that? Three and one. The only mm-hmm. game they lost was they given up a 300-yard passer or more was to Seattle, and that was because of Seattle's defense being extremely physical. Now, we don't talk about Atlanta's all defense being physical, but they're very young, they're very fast, and they get to the ball well. Dick Beasley, uh, 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 in the ages of wonder, I guess you would call him Dwight Freeney, rushing from the outside. I'm just concerned that that defense not being able to put up pressure in the middle because we all know that's what Tom does fantastic, is to mm-hmm. play that pocket, especially up in the, in, the, in, the, in the middle. If they can't get any pressure in the middle, it's going to be problematic. So it's going to have to be a situation where you watch Atlanta's run game and also this. Neither defense gives up big plays. The Atlanta defense has only given up plays of 30 yards or more for touchdowns four times this year. Mm. And only one of those was a run. Matter of fact, the um, the New England Patriots have not given up a play for more than 20 yards, well, actually 22 yards for a touchdown this year at all. Mm. And and the and the one big play that they give up they give up this year was a 22 yard run by Tyrod Taylor. Everything else has been less than 22 yards. So big play, running game. Two things to watch. Atlanta's running game. Those are the two things you need to watch out for during the Super Bowl. But like I said, I'm still leaning New England 38-33. You know what, man? It is so – I mean, 
I'm on New England's bandwagon as well. Since I'm beginning, but now looking at the Falcons, it's it's getting harder and harder and harder for me to just totally disregard what Atlanta does. Atlanta can mm-hmm. both pass and run the ball. They yes. can do both pretty damn well. So to me, what comes down to is why I'm sticking with New England is how Atlanta's D does. I mean, Atlanta's D, it's no secret. They're like a C. I mean, they, they, they normally catch up a parked car. That's how bad their defense normally is. But the thing is, is that they do want, and, you know, it's all about matchups. Every game is about matchups, especially mm-hmm. professional. And if you look at what New England does, what do they do best on offense? They like to hit, get those, those quick passes out to the little mm-hmm. ass receiver like Julian Edelman and company and Chris Hogan, crying out loud, and let them get yards <laughs> after the catch. Or, I mean, Gronk's injury. Gronk was the man on offense. I mean, he's a mm-hmm. he can run. He's too big to cover. I mean, he's just the ultimate nightmare of a, of a matchup. So, what I think Atlanta, what Atlanta's going to come out and do, since you mentioned Dwight Freely, Freely and your boy uh, from Clemson, who had a pretty good year. I, uh, I forget his name, pass rusher. Um, oh, Vic Beasley. Yeah, Vic Beasley. I think they're going to man up. They're going to take a page from the New York Giants. They're going to man those like – like they're going to man New England's deep, uh, receivers up, force them to beat them off the line of scrimmage. They have physical with them around five yards, disrupt the timing of those passes, and let Beasley and Freeney come at the break. Let them, let them, let that line come at the break. Pin the ears back. Of course, it all, it's all predicated if they can stop the run. Again, Atlanta's defense is not the best in the world. So if, mm-hmm. if, if uh, what's his name? If, if, if um, uh, I'm blanking on names for some reason, doing those running back. Um, oh, Legarian uh, Blunt. Yeah, the Blunt. Yeah, Blunt. If, yeah, got smoked that Blunt. Now, if he doesn't smoke uh, too many Blunt and he gets off, then it'll be a different story because New England can keep a game, like, like because New England can play a game of keep away. But yeah. if they could, if they could, if they, it's like if the Falcons could stop the run and put the ball in Tom Brady's hands, which is not necessarily a disaster for the Patriots, obviously, but if they could, if the Atlanta could pin their ears back, come at the Brady with just four down linemen and leave the rest of those cats in coverage, again, man it up, like, like play man across the board and have the two safeties play zone. Don't have to bring them down the box at all and have the linebackers play a little zone. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But yeah, again, just remember. Yeah. I was in, just remember, and, and I want to thank uh, my co-host Lou for pointing this out. You know, you said that the, the Giants, the one thing that they did, of course, was keep pressure um, on, on Tom Brady with that NASCAR package. Remember, what they did was they were able to put their fast rushers not only on the ends, but also my D tackle with, uh, with right. uh, Pierre, Paul, uh, Tuck, and uh, uh, O.C. Manure, they were able to switch them around at the ends and in the tackle spot. So they're going to need to have pressure from their, their defensive tackles uh, along with their edge rushers in order to really get Tom flustered and, and, and to make plays that he don't want to make. 
So that's that's the only yeah. way that they're going to work. If, if you just rush from the outside, because that's that's one of the things that that Houston was capable of doing. Not only was it um, uh, Jadavian and Clowney, but you had Merciless coming up the gut, putting pressure on her. So they're going to have to find a way. Either their, their tackles or their middle linebacker to put pressure on Brady up the middle as well as the edges, edges in order to have him make mistakes. And, and, and you're right, yeah. the, uh, the Atlanta defense is a detriment. And they've had a lot of people pass on them a lot, but at the same time, they pass a ton on everybody too. So that's why I'm hoping this game turns out to be as fun as I believe it's going to be. I think this game, even though the the, the Seattle uh, 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 New England game was fun in a different way, I'm right. hoping that this game turns out to be like the Pittsburgh Arizona game. I'm I'm hoping where it's up and down the field, a lot of deep passes, a lot of long. Well, I'm hoping to see long plays in this game, even though I don't expect it because of these defenses not giving up big plays. But if it happens, it'll be a, a great Super Bowl. Well, I hope you're right. I still think it's going to be close. But until Atlanta proves to me that I can stop the run, I still yeah. got New England and a very tight one. So we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. But but you know what though? Cool thing about that is as much as I hate the Patriots, I would love to see an awkward trophy ceremony between Roger Goodell, Tom Brady, and Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick in Patriot Nation. Similar to what Pete Rozell did that was with Al Davis, the late Al Davis, and the late yes. was up, by the way. And that after the 1981 Super Bowl, and after the Super Bowl where where they beat your boys in '84, I think it was. So yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pulling for that uh-huh. moment. I want to see that awkward moment. You know what? <laughs> it it could be. Moment. It could be even more awkward. You throw in Joe Buck in that situation. So, oh God! Keep your fingers crossed. It could be a train wreck. Watching that, yes. And oh. I pull, as always, I pull for chaos, man. So let's here's hoping that some <laughs> chaos happens. But anyway, hey, thanks a lot, brother. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks for joining me. You do the same, bro. Peace. All right, peace out. That's my guy, Dwayne Nash. Please check him out on Sleeper Radio every Tuesday night here on Blog Talk Radio as well as. Yard Slash HBCU Sports Blog. Lots of cool stuff there he brings to the table. All good stuff. Anyway, y'all, enjoy Black History Month. This is Scott Burks, the Clown Hour, signing off. Oh, six, y'all. Enjoy the football this weekend. Peace.